Going through a divorce is daunting and can make you feel financially vulnerable. Ampla Finance can help. Unlike other loans, there's no need for any ongoing monthly repayments. You're only charged loan interest on the amount of money used to pay your solicitor's fees as your case progresses, and the easy-to-use online tool keeps you in full control throughout the process. Your loan is normally repaid in full when you reach settlement, so between now and then, you have peace of mind that the cost of your divorce won't impact your day-to-day -day needs. Ampla Finance puts you at the heart of everything they do and can help you to make the fresh start you're looking for. To find out more, click the link in the podcast description or visit www.amplifinance.com. Hello and welcome to the Smart Divorce Podcast. This podcast is for you if you're thinking of separating, already separated or going through divorce. My name is Tamsin Kane and I'm a Chartered Financial Planner. We'll speak to some fantastic specialists who can help you to get through your divorce, hopefully amicably, and start your new chapter positively. Now over to today's guest. Good afternoon and welcome to the Smart Divorce podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Katie McCann, who is a partner at Knight Solicitors. She is also a barrister. So hopefully she's going to give us some great insights today about what it's like going to court when you're getting divorced. How are you, Katie? I'm absolutely fine. Thanks, Hamden. Can you start off by talking us through the process of going to court? So the process of going to court is, it can be really overwhelming for some people. And there are lots of horror stories and urban myths about what goes on um, behind the doors in the court. So what what I thought I'd do is just dispel a couple of those myths really um, today and just talk first of all about the, um, the process and how you actually get to court and how the, the hearings are divided. So when you make an application to go to court, the first time that you actually go, it's for a directions hearing. And the directions hearing is um, where what you do is you decide what extra information you need. Do we need to value any properties? Do we need to value any pensions, any businesses? Are there any holes in the disclosure that both parties have already made? And do the parties need some time to answer any questions that the other side has raised? And the judge will set out a timetable for all those things to be done. So that all that happens at a first directions appointment. And lots of people come away from that appointment thinking, was that it? Is that all that happens? <laughs> because they're expecting Rumpole of the Bailey and to be cross-examined. And, and it's not. Um, it, it's a very kind of administrative, straightforward, and most of the time quite quick hearing. So when they go into court, are they, who's in the room? Is it a big sort of wooden chamber with a judge and somebody typing and loads of people in the gallery? Does it look anything like you see on the telly or is that, it's just nothing like that? So that all depends on which court building you're going to attend. Okay. So if you were if you were at 
the High Court in London, so the Royal Courts of Justice. Yes, okay. some of those some of those courtrooms are very Dickensian looking, and they're all very kind of dark oak, um, with you know a very ornate dock, and the judge is sat on a, a bench which is really really high, um, and you kind of have to crane your neck to look up. But <laughs> thankfully, thankfully those sorts of courtrooms aren't really used around the country. So if, for example, you went to court in Manchester, um, you would probably go to the Civil Justice Centre, which is in the middle of Manchester City Centre. And the building looks like, it looks like a big filing cabinet all made of glass. Um, and all the, um, all the courtrooms are really, really modern. So you go into the courtrooms and they've got carpet and like um, beach coloured wood. They're not very big. Um, they're light and bright and airy. And generally, with this sort of court application, you would be heard by a district judge. Um, and they would be sat on the bench at the top. And there would be in front of them, there would be um, the court usher slash clerk. Now, they set, sit there and they work the tape machine. So nobody is typing. That does not happen anymore. You have a recording. <laughs> Um, and um, they will sit there and do the recording and they will just mess about and do some, some of their papers and their own administrative work whilst the hearing is going on. And then in front of um, the, the bench where the judge is sitting, you will have um, one of the parties, so let's say the husband, and he will be sat next to um, his solicitor and he will have his barrister in front of them if they've instructed a barrister. And on the other side of the courtroom, you will have the other party with their representative. And they they don't at any stage sit face to face. So you wouldn't be sat across a table looking at each other going to court. Everybody's eyes are forward looking at the judge. Um, so certainly in... Um, in Civil Justice Centre in Manchester, the court is incredibly modern and it's it's certainly not like the courtrooms that I described at the beginning. Excellent. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you. So after that hearing, what happens next? So the next hearing is what's called a dispute resolution hearing. And most cases settle at that hearing because everybody has worked really hard to answer everybody's questions, have all the valuation evidence that they need. And the FDR hearing, the dispute resolution hearing, is created for all the parties and their representatives to roll up their sleeves and negotiate and come out with a deal at the end of end of that particular day in court. And the judge, the judge's role at an FDR is to yak basically like like a chairman at a business meeting. And he will sit and listen to the husband's side of the story through his barrister's submissions. And he will hear exactly the same from the wife through the barrister's submission. So he hears both sides of the story. 
So both parties get to say what they think should happen and why. And the judge then will have read all of the papers, hopefully read all of the papers. Sometimes they don't have time to do that. But they then sometimes will ask questions to fill in the holes in their information. And they do sometimes address the questions to the parties themselves. And they do sometimes speak to the husband and wife directly. It's not like cross-examination. Um, nobody, you know, nobody's being put under the cosh, as it were. But the judge will sometimes address the parties directly. The judge then will sometimes take a coffee break and have a think about both parties' positions um, and come back and give the the um the reasoning will give the indication of how they think this case should settle and a really good sdr judge will explain their reasoning as to why they've reached where they've reached will give a little bit of a spread of um of positions for the parties to take but generally a good sdr judge will go somewhere in the middle of where the husband's pitched his case and where the wife has pitched her case. A very bad FDR judge, in my opinion, will completely side with one of the parties because what that does is it entrenches that particular party to think, I am right and my case is 100% right and therefore if you don't agree with me, other side then we ain't settling this today. So the whole the whole point of a financial dispute resolution hearing is for the parties to work really hard together with their representatives and the judge to bring a conclusion to that to the case that day. So the judge isn't actually making a judgment. They're not actually saying, right, Sonny, this is what you're going to do this is what you're going to do, Mrs. That's how it's going to be. End of, like, hit hit the gavel and that's that. That absolutely does not happen. <laughs> right, so this, I suppose this, this is one of the urban myths. You expect the gavels to come down and <laughs> making a judgment, but he doesn't do that. It, it is a negotiation day. It's quite so disappointing. <laughs> Yeah, he's there to give his view. So he says, if I had to sit on this at a trial, this is the type of order I would be making in this case. And he does his best to aid the parties to settle it. And what the judge will do is say, FDRs might be listed, you know, for a morning slot, for example. But judges really want people to settle their case. So judges will sit all day, if needs be, whilst the parties are negotiating outside of court, in the you know, in the conference rooms outside. Judges will sit all day if that's what it takes. And will invite the parties in and out of the courtroom a number of times during the day to see where they're up to. Do they need any extra help? Are they struggling with any particular discrete issues? Um, and the judge, the judge will do everything that they can 
to help the parties to settle it that day. If so, it doesn't settle um, and you don't have to accept the judge's indication, you may think that judge is crazy. How has that judge come up with that particular view? Um, that can't possibly be right. Um, and sometimes you do get some wild indications. It does happen. Um, and parties don't settle. The next stage then is you do go off for a trial. And the trial is the traditional idea of what it's like going to court, where the, it is likely that you would be asked to give evidence and that you would be cross-examined. Um, there could be experts that give evidence and are cross-examined. And then at the end of that process, a judge then will give his judgment. So the gavel will come down at some point, but only at the end of the trial. Now, most cases don't get anywhere near the trial stage because it costs so much money to get to that point. Everybody is very anxious about it. Tensions are already high and going towards a contested hearing like that just makes the whole landscape between parties so much worse. So we as lawyers do our very, very best to avoid cases going to a trial. Sometimes it can't be avoided because the parties are so polarised that they do actually need a judge to make a decision about what should happen. But certainly in my practice, I do, and if I do have to go to court to try to resolve something, I will do everything I can to have that resolved at the FDR stage, which is the second stage along. Okay. And is the, the judge that's there at the FDR stage, will that be the same judge in the trial or is it always somebody different? It's always 100% someone different. Okay. And that's one of the rules. That's one of the, the family procedure rules. It has to be someone different. And that's so that at the FDR stage, you can be really open with the judge about the sorts of offers that you've made, your views on how this should settle, you know, the ups and downs of the case. It's a very, very transparent hearing. So what you couldn't do at that stage is have the same judge deal with the trial because that judge at FDR will have already formed his view on the basis of what he's heard that day, what he's read, how he's indicated. He will have already formed his view. So he would be the, the wrong person then to deal with the trial, deal with it impartially and deal with it with fresh eyes. So it's always someone different. And the negativity of that, of course, is if you've had a very positive indication at FDR, because this is such a discretionary area of law, you could get to trial and get a different judge who has a completely different idea on how the case should resolve at the end of the day. So you are taking a risk by moving away from FDR and putting it into the hands of a judge. I'm often asked what couples are entitled to. What should I be getting from my ex-spouse? Yes. But as you've just said, there, there can be a range of, a wild range of different solutions to, to divorce, can't there? There 
there generally and often is a, a range of reasonable solutions to bring a matter to a close. And what the court does, what we as lawyers do, we apply something called um, Section 25 factors. And Section 25 is in, is in a piece of legislation from a long time ago. But it's a list of factors which suggests that what we need to look at is things like the length of the marriage, the earning capacities of both of the parties, et cetera, et cetera. There's a big, long list of things. So you could get, looking at it from a court perspective, you could get three different judges, for example, who apply those Section 25 factors, but apply them slightly differently. So you could get three different outcomes dependent upon which judge hears the case on which day. So it's quite hard for family lawyers and, and for you in the, in the context that you've just spoken about to be able to say to somebody with any absolute degree of certainty, if you ended up in front of a judge, this is the order that you would get. And I would go as far as to say that if a lawyer says that to somebody, they are skating on thin ice because it is an incredible rare occasion that you are able to give anybody in family proceedings any degree of certainty. What you can do is advise on on the scale of reasonableness. You can say, look, I do I think it will be somewhere between this point and this point. Um, and you can strategically um, talk through how you are going to structure your case to hopefully bring the negotiations to a point that you get a favourable outcome. But what you can't do is say to somebody at day one, when you see them and you're looking at their assets, this is definitely how this case is going to conclude. If it's a small case, for example, where there was just... Um, a property with some equity in it, you know, if the, if the assets are limited and the answer is fairly obvious, those are cases where you can give much more of a clear steer. Still not, you still can't be definitive, but you can give a much clearer steer on where that's going because those sorts of cases tend to be determined on the party's need. So in, in a lot of cases, it's fairly clear what the parameters will be to determine somebody's need. Um, so those cases tend to be a little bit easier when you're dealing with more limited assets. Um, but no, to come back in a very, very long-winded way, Tamsin, to say it's really quite hard. And yes, there is always a spread of potential reasonable outcomes. Okay, so you mentioned earlier on about sometimes couples are polarised on their viewpoints and at the FDR stage, they just can't come to an agreement about certain things. Is there any anything that that is the usual thing that, that couples are find it difficult to agree on? Is there kind of a, a particular thing is it a business or a pension usually or is it is it quite often it's just they just can't come anywhere close to to come into an agreement it could 
be absolutely anything that the parties disagree on. Um, sometimes people hold on to certain ideas because of an emotional aspect of things. Um, sometimes people will hold on to certain ideal um, because their expectations going into the proceedings are high and they haven't been managed properly by their lawyers. So they think that it, it's appropriate and commercial to continue to fight on a particular issue when really it might not be. Um, so it, it, it could be absolutely anything that parties become polarised upon. It's wholly dependent upon what the facts are in any particular case and what the asset base is in any particular case. That's brilliant. So we talk a lot on this podcast about helping couples to resolve things amicably. And I understand that in some cases, this is a struggle to do without attending court in some way, shape or form. But do you feel that you can achieve an amicable settlement through going to court? I think you absolutely can. And I'll tell you why. Sometimes with some couples, not having a court timetable in place means that things float on um, and, you know, can, can go on for significantly longer than they need to. And they can end up spending more costs on things because there isn't an actual deadline in place to deal with things. So sometimes when it's appropriate for the parties to do so and without there being any aggression involved whatsoever, sometimes we do issue an application at the court knowing that we will get that first directions appointment date from the judge, knowing that we will have had to have completed our disclosure by a particular point in time. And lots of, the, lots of the time, what you can do is if it's still amicable between the parties and you've exchanged disclosure, you've already valued the house, you've already got the information that you need, you can agree between you that when you go to court for the first hearing, if there's enough information available to settle the case, that you use that first hearing instead of it being an administrative hearing where we're just ticking boxes, we use that as a dispute resolution hearing to roll up our sleeves and finish the case. So you can expedite the proceedings, which does actually save money, um, but gives the parties a time frame and a timetable that they know they've got to adhere to because they're going to court on a particular day. But you can do it in such a way that you can have an amicable hearing at that FDA, finish the case, have an order, have it signed off by a judge there and then whilst you're at court, which is another benefit of doing that, and then the case is finished. So you can use this process amicably if you want to. The negativity of that these days is that the courts are very, very clogged up um, with applications 
they are underfunded, all of these things. And sometimes you can wait quite a long time once you've issued an application to get a hearing date, which sometimes will make it will make it you know a difficult process in any event and, and not necessarily adding any benefit to the party. But right, yes. yes. So, so if the court was functioning kind of uh, in a more timely manner than perhaps it is at the moment, you could use it to move things along more more quickly and in a, in a more timely manner. But at the minute, that's probably not going to be the case because the courts are very busy and, and it could be months before you get a date. Is that essentially what we're saying? Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Um, but you can, to come back to your original question, it is possible to come out of these things with an amicable resolution. And I, I have had many cases where we've got to the FDR stage um, and once an agreement has been reached and the parties have got some finality, sometimes you see the weight of the world kind of lifting off their shoulders and you know they'll go into another conference room and give the other party a hug and shake their hand and that sort of thing because it's actually come to a conclusion yeah so just because it goes to court doesn't mean that it will end up you know being being a fight for the rest of time between the parties um it can resolve amicably and sensibly between them but i think the the overriding aspect of all of this is you wouldn't necessarily go to court unless you absolutely had to um, and if there is if there is an out of court way of dealing with things in a very quick and amicable um, fashion then that is the route in my view that's the route that you should take. Yeah I totally agree with that Thank you for joining me today, Katie. Is there anything else that you want to add to what you've said today? I don't think so. Um, hopefully I've covered most things um, from my experience as well as a barrister and having dealt with these things for, for many years. But certainly if anybody ever wants to ask me any questions, I'd be more than happy to help. That's absolutely brilliant. And we will include your contact details in the show notes if that's okay with you, if anyone does want to get in touch. Fabulous. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you for joining me, Katie. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Smart Divorce podcast. If you'd like details of our guest today or of myself so you can get in touch, please check out the programme notes. Many thanks. See you again soon.